Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. I'm going to show you from the Word. Sorry, Hebrews chapter 6. From the Word. Hey, Maria. God bless you guys. From the Word of God, what it means to be saved. What it means to be a new creation. That it's not just something that we fling around when we like to quote 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Amen. And like people don't even understand what that actually means. So I want to go through what it means to be saved. What it means to be joined together with the Lord and having become one spirit with God. Hey, Caitlin, Nicole. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 9. But beloved, actually let's start with verse, verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away again, to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put Him to an open shame. If you haven't shared the broadcast, uh, you'd help me a lot by getting a word out today by sharing the broadcast. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected, near being cursed, whose end is to be burnt. Now get this, verse 9. But, beloved, beloved means Christians, brethren. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to Christians here. Beloved, those who have not fallen away, those who have kept themselves holy, those who have kept themselves white, who have not stained their garments with this world, who have kept themselves pure, who have made themselves to be undefiled on this earth, Beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. I want you to write that out in the comment section. There are things that accompany salvation. Things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things which come with salvation. When you were not redeemed. Actually, I'll read it. I feel like I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. Because I don't want people to think that I'm just coming up with some new doctrine. That uh, I just decided, you know what? The Bible is not really telling everything. Let me just, let me just come up with my own thing get some people excited today no i'm going to show you how the word of god has enough power to get you excited about the faith that you uh about jesus christ the one that you've put your faith in he uh ephesians chapter 2 listen to this actually let's start with verse with chapter 1 and verse 17 i pray so this is paul's prayer for the ephesian church i pray that the god of our lord jesus christ the father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that the eyes of your understanding would be open so that you may see what is the hope of God's calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, 
And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards those who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought about in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Now go to chapter 2 and verse 1. And you... So that, that's me, that's you, you listening right now. And you, he made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and your sins. So I was dead in trespasses and sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that when God gave instructions to Adam in, in the Garden of Eden, he told him there was this one tree in the middle of the garden that he was forbidden to eat of. For in the day that he ate of that tree, of that fruit, he would surely die. When Adam ate of that fruit, did Adam just drop dead on the spot? No. Adam lived on another 900, uh, he lived up to 900 and something, 930 something years. Adam lived a long life after he ate of that fruit. So the Bible's not talking about his physical death that, that occurred, but there was a death in his spirit. His spirit man died. And, uh, as such, which your spirit man is that which was created in the life of, in the life and image of God. When God created man in his own image, he created him uh, a spirit being. God is spirit, the Bible says, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So when God created Adam, he created him essentially a spirit being. So when Adam sinned and committed high treason against God and uh, cosmic rebellion against the creator of all of all things, his it's not his body that died on the spot, his spirit man died on the spot, and as a result, his body and his mind, his soul, his emotions, his will, everything else began to recede and to degrade and to degenerate until the point where he eventually died at 900 and whatever years. And then ever since then, the lifespan of man has drastically dropped so that now if you live 100 years old, that's like a miracle. If you live till in, the, in our generation, if you're an unbeliever and you live till 80, that's a good life you live. If you live to 70, be happy. You know, people are dying earlier and earlier in, in recent times because sin is running rampant. And the Bible says that where sin abounds, where there's more sin, there's more death because sin brings death. Sin brings a degenerate gene to it that anyone that indulges therein that gene infects their body spirit and soul and everything begins to die out to decay until it's no more so when the bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins doesn't mean you were physically dead you were physically alive when you came to christ you were alive but there was your spirit man that was dead but the bible says you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Talking about demon powers. You know, there's a lot of people that say, how many of you know we're all children of God? That's not true. We're not, we don't all belong to God. The Bible says that Jesus said in John chapter 8, there are people who are the children of the devil and there are people who are belong, who belong to the family of God. In 1 John chapter 3, the Bible says, don't be deceived. He who sins is of the devil. So there's people who belong to the camp of the enemy. Uh, the Bible explains it right here. They're under the sway of the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. 
There are two forces, three forces at work on planet earth. Number one, there's, there's the godly, heavenly, angelic forces, the Holy Spirit. Number two, there are demon forces, Satan, the Antichrist, the beasts, the false prophets, and people that line themselves up with, with, with that agenda. And then number three, there's a human force, which is the human will. And you as a, as, a, as a human being, as an individual placed on planet earth, you have the decision to tie your ship up either to God's plan or to the devil's agenda. You as a human being have the ability by your will. Your will is one of the most powerful things in the universe because through your will, that's why the Bible says in, in uh, Deuteronomy, choose ye this day, choose your will, choose ye this day whom you shall serve. So that shows you that God in his sovereignty has allotted man the will, the ability to choose whom he should serve, whether of sin leading to death or of righteousness leading to life. Choose ye this day whom ye shall serve. I have set before thee blessings and goodness and life, and I've also set before you the opposite, cursing, death, and everything else the devil wants to do in your life. But you have the ability to choose what direction you take in life. Life is not chance and luck. Life is a, is a product of the decisions you make on a daily basis. Either you're siding with Satan today or you're siding with God today. Either you've hooked up with demon forces today or you hook up with angelic forces today. And I tell you, when you hook up with God, you can't go downwards. There's a, there is a downward spiral in life and that's when you hook up with the devil. But when you hook up with God, the Bible says the fear of the Lord windeth upward. It leads you upward and it turns you away from the snares of death. That's why I'm here to tell you today. You can make up your mind this very day, August 11, 2020. I'm through living my own life. I'm through making my own decisions on my own way, leading me into even more trouble, more tribulation, more anguish from today onward. As for me and my house, we're making a decision. We will serve the Lord. We're not only going to be obedient, we're going to be willing and obedient. And as such, God said, we will eat of the good of the land. Hallelujah. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, among whom you also once conducted yourself in the lusts of your flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the wrath. I'm not a child of wrath anymore. The Bible says it very clearly. God has not appointed me to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I've not been appointed to wrath. I've been appointed to salvation. I've been appointed, the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, to those that are disobedient, anguish, tribulation, and trouble will follow them. But to those that are obedient, that have believed on the gospel, which is the power of God unto them that believe, to the Jew first and then, and then to the, to the Greek, the Bible says, glory, honor, life, and peace will chase them down everywhere they go. That's why David said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. When you make God your shepherd, he doesn't lead you in less than, uh, less, a less than place. He doesn't leave you, leave you uh, stranded. The Bible says that he leads you by still waters and by green pastures and goodness and mercy. I like to call them the Siamese twins of heaven. Goodness and mercy begin to chase you down everywhere you go. And you can't even hide from it. 
It's like the, uh, you, when you were not serving God and you tried to make things work for you and things didn't work, even when you were purposeful and engaged, things always ended up poorly. On the flip side, when you join up with Christ, even when you don't try to make things work for you, the Bible says goodness and mercy locate you on a daily basis whether you want it or not. That's why the Bible says we are called the beloved, the highly favored ones. I'm highly favored. I'm God's very own child. I'm God's very favorite child. And you can say that for yourself. I'm God's very favorite child. Because in Christ Jesus, we have been made accepted in the beloved. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. And Jesus was his, his, his only begotten son. And now it's no longer I who lives. Christ now lives in me. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus. That's why I'm telling you. You got to forget the past. You got to forget the, the things which lie behind. You got to stop thinking and dwelling on your past failures. The things that you were subject to in your past. The, 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 the things that didn't work out. The relationships that didn't work out. The problems you always had. Stop focusing on wrong things. Stop focusing on accidents. Stop focusing on failures. Because the thing you focus on sets your expectation for the things to come. Instead, focus on the things the Word of God says about you. That I'm, I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a chosen generation. I'm a holy nation. I'm called forth out of this world to show forth the praises of God. I once was not the people of God, but now I am the people of God. I was once not shown mercy, but now I am shown mercy. I was once subject to the power of darkness, but I've been transferred out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. And I now have been made a partaker of all of God's riches and glory through faith in Jesus Christ hallelujah and now as such I expect good things to happen to me today I want you to write that out in the comment section I expect good things to happen I expect a good thing today write that out I expect a good thing today that's right I expect my expectation isn't lined up for what the devil has lined up for me my expectation is lined up for what God has lined up for me and the devil doesn't have anything to say about it. Because 1 John 5.18 says very clearly that beloved ye are born of God and his seed abides in you. And the wicked one cannot touch you. The wicked one cannot touch you. Because that which is born from above is above all things. I'm not far below. Let's read it a little more. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us with, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive. The Bible says God demonstrated his love towards us. Even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were still sinners. That's why the devil will try and get you to point to your worst failure of your past. How could God love you? How could God do anything for you? Look at what you've done to me. You've never served him well. You've never done anything to, to add to your account. Well, that's the purpose of the gospel. It's not of our own well-doing. It's our own righteousness. Even our best works are as filthy rags to God. But when we had no ability to redeem ourselves, the Bible says God has redeemed us from the power of the grave. It's not by works of righteousness but by his grace alone that we stand perfect holy sanctified in the sight of God 
So when the devil tries to remind you of your past, take up the word of God, remind him of his future, that there's a lake of fire awaiting him. And not only that, even in, in eternity, he'll have a lake of fire waiting for him and he'll burn for an eternity. But here on earth, remind him that you're, a, hallelujah, that you're anointed with the Holy Ghost and power to go about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, that you have a power from on high to make the devil's life here on earth. Not, we're not going to wait for the devil to experience hell when he gets there in eternity. We're going to get him here on, on earth. We're going to make his life hard. The devil doesn't get to decide who gets America. The devil doesn't get to decide who gets Canada. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. And as long as the body of Christ, the church of the living God, stands in his way, he has nothing to say about it. I'm anointed far above principalities and dominions and might. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The devil lost the battle over your life when you came to Christ. And he can't do anything about it. He can't do anything about it. I heard a preacher say, you know, when every time we, we, we have healing service, it's like someone gets sick in my, in my family. You got to be careful when you lay hands on the sick but because that spirit of sickness might jump off him and come on into you. Bullcrap. That spirit of sickness ain't coming in here. <laughs> how can light dwell with darkness? How can, how can, uh, how can, uh, how can darkness have fellowship with light? How can the, how can you have sit at the table of demons and sit at the table of God at the same time? How can you, like the Bible says, be tied to Belial, which is the devil, and Christ at the same time? They have no fellowship. One drives out the other. And I'm anointed, hallelujah. The Bible says, ye are children of light. Walk ye then as children of light. And light drives out darkness every single day. Darkness has nothing to say about it. The, the, the dominion of light over darkness is instant and it's unquestionable. There was a man of God, David Oyedepo. He said that there was a, a cousin of his that was stricken with a spirit of insanity. And all his family was worried. They didn't know what to do with him. So they ended up, you know, trying to get him in an insane asylum. Nothing ever worked. Uh, they couldn't keep him in a straitjacket. So finally they brought him back home. He stayed at home, locked up into a dark, in a dark room. And they called Bishop Oyedepo to come and this was at the beginning, the infancy of his ministry. They said, can you come pray for uh, your cousin? He's, he's insane. He's clinically insane. A demon's got his life. And so he came and uh, he told them to bring him out and put him in his car. And they were like, are you crazy? He might jump on you and, and like physically hurt you. He said, put him in my car. So they took him and threw him in, in the car. And he said, let me see the devil that can stand one car ride with me. By the end of a 10 minute ride, that thing was out and he was back to normal, normalcy. His brain had been restored. He had been delivered of that demon, set free, totally free indeed. Because the dominion of light, he knew what he carried. So the devil wants to get you to diminish the value of light in you. Do you remember Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, that I am the light of this world. And then he looked at, to his disciples and said, when I go, ye are the light of this world. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That you are the salt of this world. That if the salt loses its flavor, then it's good for nothing but to be trampled underfoot by men. I'm the light of this world. 
I, I'm empowered to drive out darkness everywhere I go. That's why I'm taking time today to speak to you about your new creation reality. What it means to be saved. Turn with me to 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. What does it mean to be born again? That term is too often thrown around in Christian circles. Like it's, you know, some... It, familiarity breeds contempt when you get too familiar with terms like that uh, it ends up you end up getting callous and hardened to those things so that it don't actually carry out any fruit in your life but i read for myself what it means to be born again and i'm gonna let you know it's not just getting your sins forgiven it's not just you having a passport now to enter into heaven it's not just you uh you know one day spending eternity with god when you got born again, the Bible says, whoever believes on me, that man has eternal life in him. Not you will have eternal life. Not one day you're going to enter into the next life. No, you have eternal life now. And eternal life, if you study its actual meaning in the Greek, it's Zoe, the life of God. The very life of God lives in you. That's why you'll never see me with my head down. You'll never see me walking like the third man from the right on the, on the evolution chart with my back all hunched over. You'll never see me complaining about a situation because I know in whom I have believed and I understand what I'm about to read. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of our God and and, and uh, of, of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So the Bible's saying that God's power has already been given to us. But you have to receive a gift. If, if my wife got me a, a gift, uh, I don't know, a PlayStation or something, and put it under the Christmas tree, December 25th, 2019. And it's still in the same place, nicely wrapped up, not opened, still accumulating dust under that. And, and the tree is gone, but the gift is still there, hasn't moved an inch. And I, I keep talking to everybody about how my wife is the greatest wife. She got me a PlayStation last Christmas. And I start to brag about my new PlayStation and all the games I could play on it. Praise God. But I never took time to unravel the gift, to open the gift, to receive the gift, to plug in the gift, to actually take advantage of the gift. That gift does me no good. You can brag all you want. And that's what we have. A generation of people who know how to quote the word of God, but have absolutely no conviction in its actual reality in our life. This is not a code of conduct. The Bible is not a code of conduct. They always say it's basic instructions before leaving earth. No, it's really not. The Bible is more than just a code of conduct. The Bible is a image book. It's an album, a photo album. That the more you look into it, the more you begin to see what God in Christ has made you to look like now as you've been redeemed. The Bible shows you what you used to look like when you were in sin. 
The Bible shows you what Christ looked like on the earth and what he ultimately accomplished at the Christ at the cross. And then the Bible goes on to explain and show you vividly in the epistles and the New Testament what you now look like in Christ. You're not an, a, an emaciated cat, a beat down. That's what religion teaches you. You're some, you know, ultimately, how many know we're all just sinners and and, and wretched human beings deprived of all good things. Yeah, that's what I used to be like. Romans 7 is exactly that. It's Paul talking about his former reality when he didn't know Christ. But people use Romans 7. I have within me the law to do what is right, but my flesh always overpowers me. And, and, and Paul in Romans 7 is explaining what the battle between the flesh and the spirit used to feel like. That he had no ability to win. He had no ability to break free from sin in him. He, he knew there was a law of sin in him. But read on. Don't stop in Romans 7. People need a basic lesson in English. I think that's what it is. I think people just need to go back to grade 3 English class and they'll find out how much easier the Bible is to be understood. It's not a hard book. God's not trying to make things complicated and complex. Religion complicates the Bible. But Jesus came and spoke in human terms. He spoke, and, and not only that, he gave you the spirit of truth, which Jesus said will guide you into all truth, and he'll make known unto you the things have been, that have been freely given to us by God. The Bible's, if you try to overcomplicate it and make it some ethereal, spiritual complicated complex difficult to understand book then that's exact you'll, you'll receive nothing from it but if you'll see it as a manual and as a photo album as to how you're to act how you're to talk how you're to speak how you're to move how you're to work what you now look like in christ jesus it'll yield powerful results on a daily basis that's what the early church had the early church was loaded with power because though they were untrained, uneducated men, they had been with Jesus. And Jesus is his word. And his word is Jesus. God said, I have honored my word above all my name. When you spend time with the word, you're spending time with Jesus. And when you spend time with Jesus, his divine nature rubs in on you. And you start to lose your old Adamic nature. And God's divine nature, the first Adam came and he sinned. And we forfeited the, the God-like nature in us. But the last Adam came, Jesus Christ. And when he died and rose again, and we spend time with that last Adam, Jesus Christ, his nature begins to overwhelmingly over power our former nature and our inadequacies adequacies become his adequacy our insufficiencies get swallowed up by his sufficiency whatever we were subject to in the past we're no longer subject to now because of Christ Jesus we were subject to sickness we were subject to the law of sin and death but thanks be unto God for there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of Christ in uh, of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. I'm set free. It's not this long lifelong battle against it. No, I am set free from the laws of sin and death. And listen to this. For, verse 4, by which have been given unto us the word of God, exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these promises, 
You now, hallelujah, you now can be partakers. This is the Bible. I'm not making this up. You can be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. I've escaped. I don't associate with my old nature. I don't associate with the old teaching. I had a guy come up to me one time and say, hey, could you let me know? Uh, you know, I see you now preaching and all that. What was the old TJ like? Tell me. What were you like before you got saved? And I thought about it for like three seconds. And then I, first of all, I couldn't even remember because God, it's, God has like just erased that from my memory. But not only that, I replied to him. I said, honestly, I don't even know. He died too long ago. I forgot what he looked like. You have to see yourself as such. The old you died. Romans chapter 5. The gospel is not Jesus coming to improve you. That's an American gospel. To make you a better version of yourself. How many of you know we're just trying to be better us? We, we just want to be better. We just, you know, if we can set our mind to it, we can develop better patterns of thought. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is not an improvement of your old self. The gospel is not you receiving a renovation. Gos the gospel is not you being ameliorated. It's not you being uh, rebuilt. The gospel is not you being a better you. The gospel is a transformative power. Where the old you is gone, totally gone. And a new, not new you, a new man emerges, created in God's likeness, empowered by God's spirit to live a life. Jesus said, the works you saw me do, now you'll do greater works because of the spirit that will be made to dwell in you. You can look like Jesus the same way Jesus operated in the Gospels. You can look like Jesus on the earth. You think I'm blowing smoke? Look at Peter. Jesus had people touch the hem of his garment and they were made well. Peter had just had people just fall under his shadow and people were made well. Whatever affliction, sickness, infirmity, it dropped off their life forever as a result of their contact with Peter's shadow. Forget them. They didn't even have to touch Peter. Just, his just him walking by. We need a new generation of people that when you're in the workplace, when you pass by someone in your office and they had stage four whatever or diabetes or multiple cirrhosis or a long-standing sickness that they've never been freed of, all of a sudden, just your shadow coming on them. They, they're hunched over because of multiple cirrhosis or because of fibromyalgia. And all of a sudden, boom, their back snaps back because of the greater one that lives in you. We need people that whenever there's someone that's controlled by demon spirits in the school. Some of you are watching, you're in school. You're, you're, you go to high school, you go to college, and you're surrounded by demons. You're in public schooling. Well, we need people like you to go and shine forth that light. To not take your light and hide it under a brushel but to let it shine in such a way before man that men might see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. And I believe God's calling you for such a 
time is this. He needs a new generation. There's a generation living on the earth that has not known the power of God, nor the works which he's done in past generations. A new generation must emerge to show forth his works and his power to bring, a, to bring this generation to their knees. You know, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, that they, they speak his righteousness. I will declare his righteousness and God will show forth his glory. Until you start to declare the word of God, we're in the dark places. That's why, you know, I'm all for, you know, it's great to have worship conferences and, it, and it's all, that's neat. However, Philip did not go down to Samaria, pick up a guitar and start singing hymns over the city of Samaria, believing God for it to break through. It's a good start, but that's not where the real breakthrough is going to come. The breakthrough comes when we don't pick up a guitar and start singing, but when after we start singing, we start to declare that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. We start to declare that, there, yes, the first chapter of your life was bad. The devil might have written the first chapter of your life, but the next chapter doesn't have to be co-authored by the devil. You can have God himself co-author that next chapter where he begins to write out better things for you, things that come with salvation. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as the th through the one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus, thus death spread to all men, because all men sinned. For until the law, sin was in, was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no, wa lo no law. Verse 17. For if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will now reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. For if by one, I'm going to read that again, Romans 5, 17. If by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. That's you. You've received abundance of grace. The Bible says, John chapter 1, Jesus came um, full of grace and truth. And we have received grace upon grace, like waves hitting a, a seashore. Grace upon grace. Bible says we have received grace upon grace. So we've received the fullness, an abundance of grace and of the gifts of righteousness. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And then it tells you what that brings to you. Now we will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. By God's divine nature in you, you are empowered to reign over the things that once reigned over you. The things that once held you captive. The things that once held you down, bound in afflictions and chains. Bible says in the book of Luke, the people who have sat in darkness and the shadow of death have seen a great light. And when that light gets in you, and lifts you up out of the shadow of death, lifts you up, breaks the chains of addiction, of sin, of pornography, of adultery, of immorality. When that light gets in you, it then empowers you to go out and do the same. The Bible says the whole creation is eagerly awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. Creation. That's why the devil tries to get believers to think that the world's not interested in the gospel. That's not true. They've not been interested in the gospel that's been preached. But the actual gospel 
I can tell you the truth, will get a lot more attention than it's getting right now. People say, well, we're not called to be, you know, popular. We're just called to be faithful. Was Jesus popular? <laughs> Better believe he was. And he was the, he's, he's called faithful and true in the book of Revelations. When you're faithful to, the, Paul said, any man who preaches any other gospel than that which I've preached unto you, let that, let that man be accursed. There's been a gospel that's been preached. But it's not the unadulterated, unperverted gospel that Jesus came to preach. Which was what? John 1.12. As many as received the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. To them gave he power. Hallelujah. Power to become children of God. And if I'm a child of God, then the Bible says we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Do you know what it means to be a joint heir? It means all that belongs to that one also belongs to me. All that belongs to Christ. The Bible says, ye are Christ and all things belong to you. All that belongs to Christ now belongs to me through faith. What belongs to Christ? I'll tell you. What doesn't belong to Christ? Sorrow does not belong to Christ. He's the Prince of Peace. He said, I have come and spoken these things to you that in me you may have peace. And in another verse, in another um, scripture, Jesus says that as you believe in my word, you may have my joy complete in you. Sorrow does not belong to Christ. Sorrow has to do with the unregenerate man. Sorrow has to do with your old nature. But as a new creation, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. All things become new. So what are part of the old things? Number one, sorrow. Sorrow is part of your old life. The Bible says many sorrows hasten after, uh, come to those who hasten after other gods. Many sorrows. The Bible says those who are lovers of money and of this world pierce themselves through with many sorrows. The Bible says... He that sows in sin shall reap in sorrow. Sorrow chases sinners. The Bible says all the days of the afflicted are evil. Afflicted by sin. Afflicted by their own nature. All the days of the afflicted are evil. Nothing works out for them. But he that has a merry heart made merry by Christ. Who is what? Who hath become unto us joy unexplicable and full of glory. He that is of a merry heart enjoys a continual feast. Sorrow no longer belongs to you. Number two, sickness no longer belongs to you as a new creation in Christ. It's not, you know, we have, we have a better resistance against sickness. I can't get sick. That's not a confession I'm making hoping God will, uh, you know, comply with that confession. That is a confession birthed out of an abundance of doctrine from the word of God. Exodus 23, 25. If you will serve the Lord your God, he will bless your bread and your water. And he, he didn't say, I'll heal you when you get sick. He said, I'll take sickness out of your midst. I dwell in a realm where sickness has no ability to enter into. Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 
uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse 14 or something like that. No, it's, it's further on in the chapter. He says that this is the gospel that God gave me. That I should go and turn people from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto the power of God that they might receive a remission of sins and have access now to the inheritance which belongs to those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. I, I'm out of the power of darkness. Whatever dwelt, we read it in Romans chapter 5. The Bible says very clearly that when sin entered the world, death spread to all men. You know, I hear so many preachers preach in a way where they want to make people aware of their sin. They want to make people aware of their wrongdoings. I've heard so many pre preachers talk about how like, you know, we're fallen creatures. We're fallen beings. You know, we'll ultimately never be, be there's this thing in us called sin and it, it moves us to, to want to do things against God. And they talk about the consciousness of sin. That we should be conscious of the sin that dwells in us. That we should always remind ourselves that we're dust returning to dust. I want, I want to read something. I read this this week. And it just blows that theology out of... Out of it'll blow your, that theology out of your mind. So the next time someone says that, it'll irritate you. You know, that's what happens when you get filled with the Word. The Bible says, my words that I speak to you, they are spirit and life. And when that spirit gets in you, He makes you to stand strong. So any counter doctrine, any word that comes against the, the spirit of the Word, it begins to irritate you. Something It's like your, your, um, your little radar goes off. It gets in you. It irritates you. Like when Paul, when he was in Athens and he was observing the city given over to idols and the Bible says his spirit was vexed within him. He was provoked to anger. That's what it does. It provokes you to anger. It vexes you within you. Doesn't check right. That's what people say. That doesn't sit well with me. It won't sit well with you. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of those things can never with the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who approach. If you haven't shared the broadcast uh, and you're just joining in now, please share it. It would be a great help to me. Verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? So he's saying in the Old Testament people brought their oxen, they brought their lambs, they brought their rams to be sacrificed by the high priest once a year. But it never, it never did anything for them because if they did, the Bible says if the worshippers once purified, they would have no more consciousness of their sins. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin every single year. So the Bible says under the old covenant, it, it was impossible to break free from the reminder of sin. Because the moment you offered that sacrifice and you left and you got angry, someone cut you off with their uh, donkey or whatever, and you got angry and you said some things you shouldn't have said, the reminder of sin came back in them and they now again resumed consciousness of sin. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. All it did was cover. That's why it's an improper teaching to teach 
that uh, Jesus covered all your sins. He did not cover your sins. The Bible says, let's read it. Verse 14. For by one offering, Jesus has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. For the Holy Spirit said, this is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I'll write them. And he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. My sins weren't covered. My sins were totally extracted, removed, and buried in the sea of forgetfulness. And God said, I'll never bring it up again. So back to what I was saying, the consciousness of sin. Why is it that you have preachers that get up on a pulpit and they'll try and remind people and bring people into a sin consciousness? It's unscriptural to have a sin consciousness. I now, in Christ, have a righteousness consciousness. Well, brother, you know, haven't you sinned in the past month? Maybe I have. I don't remember it. I don't dwell on those things which are beyond. That's what Paul was saying. Maybe I haven't apprehended it. He said, not that I've already apprehended or been made perfect. But this one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind. I totally disengage myself from the past. I have spirit. I have amnesia concerning my old past. And now I press towards the goal. I reach forward to the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And sin no longer has any ability to hold me down so what was in your old your old life number one sorrow what was in your old life number two sickness what was in your old life number three sin sin consciousness as a new creature in christ i am no longer conscious of sin i'm now conscious and dwell on god's own righteousness which lives in me by his mercy that's why the bible says his mercies are new every morning. And great is His faithfulness. Great is His faithfulness. What you identify with in life is what you'll experience in life. If you identify with your old nature, you'll experience, the Bible says, turn to, now this might be a little bit of meat. But don't, Read into what I'm not saying. Read into what I am saying. Psalm 82. Listen to this. Psalm 82 verse 5. When you, if you'll get this in you, <laughs> the next time the devil comes a knocking, you'll have some fire in your eyes where just your look will be like, uh, let's go next door. This one's not worth getting burnt with. Psalm 82 5. They do not know nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. So the psalmist is essentially saying, because of people's ignorance, they've created this instability in their own lives. So ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is detrimental to your spiritual success and your prosperity in life. The Bible says we are not ignorant of the devil's schemes and devices, lest we should be taken advantage by him. Bible says in the book of Timothy that there are those who have been taken captive by him because of the ignorance that is in him. People are captives of the devil because of the ignorance of their heart, because of the blindness of their eyes. They are alienated from God's life and as such, they're foreign to God's life, 
but they become acclimated to Satan's agenda for their life because of the ignorance that's in them. Not because of a great devil, not because of a bad demon, not because of a, a great opposition, no. If there's one thing you can learn from the Bible and from the gospel especially, is that there's no adversary. There's no opponent. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And if it can't separate you from the love of God, then it can't separate you from success. Because the Bible says God is love and love never fails. So it has nothing to do with a big opponent. The Bible says, I, I have made thee the head always and never the tail. I've empowered you to be, the head, to be above always and never be to, beneath, to be beneath. But why is it that we see so many Christians struggling in life when the Bible has said that we are to reign in life through Jesus Christ? I'll tell you why. They don't know, nor do they understand. And as such, as such their whole life is unstable. They're like the waves of the sea, tossed to and fro, never expecting to receive anything from the Lord. They have a vast reservoir of spiritual riches, which the Bible says, Ephesians 1.3, giving thanks unto the Father, who hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That's right, Jimmy. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Not because of a lack of help. Because remember, God is for you and not against you. And if God be for you, the Bible even asks the question, who then can be against you? So stop blaming it on this spirit and on that devil and on that, that man or that woman or that boss or that employer. It has nothing to do with them. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against spiritual forces in heavenly places and against um, wickedness. But the Bible doesn't end there. It says, however, we have weapons of warfare that are strong and mighty for the pulling down of those struggles. But if you're ignorant, not only that those weapons exist, there's a lot of people who know, well, bless God, I have the blood of Jesus. Bless God, I have the name of Jesus. They know the weapons, but they have zero understanding on how to operate those weapons. You can hand me an M16 assault rifle, but leave the cartridge separate from the actual gun. I've never handled an M16. I wouldn't know how to, to lock in the cartridge, cartridge, cartridge. I wouldn't know how to load the cartridge with cartridge, the ammunition slot. Change the word. My like, tongue is cementing. I wouldn't know how to load the ammunition slot. I wouldn't know how to take off the safety because they're, you know, they're different on every gun. So though I have this ma weapon of mass destruction, because I don't know how to use it, it serves me no good in the same vein. You can have a, a bank account that has $87 million and die impoverished in a 300 square foot apartment. How is that? There was a guy in Chicago years ago. This was an actual story. Uh, his neighbor started, he was a poor man, lived homeless on the streets, you know, carried a little shopping cart, throwing on whatever he can, bringing the bottles to grocery stores, cashing in so he can get a couple of bucks to buy his food for that day. And uh, his neighbor, he lived in like government housing. And his neighbors, after several weeks, started to smell something rotten coming from his apartment. So they sent 
you know, the policing and they knocked on the door. They broke down the door. They saw him dead, totally starved, skin and bones with a, uh, what do you call it? A fanny pack wrapped around his waist, dead, stinking. And they opened up the fanny pack, looked inside and there was like, 40 this was like in the early 1900s there was like 40,000 US dollars in there so even though he carried around like a lot of people do they carry around their bibles going to church they have the biggest study bible so heavy you can knock a kid out just by throwing it at him they have all the riches of glory at their access available to them This guy dies, starved in his 200, 300 square foot apartment, government housing. Why? He could have been eating filet mignon and lobster every single night. But because of it, he never took out the money. Because he never retracted, because he never withdrew the money and used it and applied it. He died poor. And a lot of Christians are impoverished, not because we're not, we've not been given access to his spiritual riches and glory, but because there is a lack of spiritual understanding. That's why the Bible says, let the words of Christ dwell richly in you in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what happens when you start to get filled with the word? Well, we read it before. You become a, a partaker of the divine nature. And then listen to this. Psalm 82 verse 6. God saying this. I have said you are gods, little g, not big g. And all of you are children of the most high God. But you will die like mere men. And you will fall like one of the princes. I'm going to read it again from verse 5. They do not know. They're ignorant. Nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth and their life are unstable. I said, God said, you are gods. And all of you are children of the most high God. But you will die like them, like men. And you will fall like one of the princes of the earth. Meaning, because you're ignorant, your life will look no different. The Bible says, he that wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. Your life will have no distinction on the earth. People will not be able to discern between you and someone who absolutely does not serve God. But that's not the way God has called you to be. The Bible says, Malachi chapter 4, I have set you apart as a father sets apart an obedient and dutiful dutiful child. And the Bible says, I will spare them in that day. And they will be a holy jewel unto me. And all peoples will see that you are called by my name. Your life was created to be envied. Just like Jesus was the object of envy as he roamed the shores of Galilee. That everyone pressed about to touch him. To grow near him. Well the Christ in you empowers you to have a life exactly like that. That everywhere you go people are seeking answers from your mouth. Everywhere you go you're not the one going around as a prayer project needing something. Always in a needy needy give me give me mentality. But rather 
together, you carry something that you now have the ability to delegate God's riches and resources to a lost and dying world. That when people have a problem, the first number they call is you. When people get sick, the first number they call is you. When people need assistance, the first number they call is you. Not by might, not by this sort of strength in you, but by the Spirit of God, which quickens your mortal body to live like God lived. To, to live like Christ lived on the earth. I'll read one more scripture and then we're going to pray. And then you can join me tonight on Isaiah Salivar's broadcast. I'll be there at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific time. I want to read this. This is going to, this is, this is a powerful scripture. But their minds were blinded. 2 Corinthians 3.14. But their minds were blinded. If you're just joining now, you'd be a great help to me if you share the broadcast. Hey, Melissa, Chelsea, um, Elizabeth, Suds, good afternoon. Julia, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, a blinded mind, see the devil doesn't really care to put blind eyes on people as long as he has blind, blinded minds. He doesn't really care if you have blind eyes in, in as much as, he, as, as you have and you carry blind, a blind mind. Hey, Alex. God bless you too. Because it, a blinded mind equals a blinded destiny. The Bible says they're blind guides leading the blind and both will fall into the same pit. And the Bible says that when the enemy blinds the minds of those who do not believe, they don't have access to the glorious light, the light that's able to set them free. Remember, as a Christian, with the Word of God, we are to engage in explorative study of the Word. The more you dive deep into this Word, the richer your life is on the earth, and the more helpful you are to your generation that's why paul paul peter even said of paul that there's a wisdom given to paul such things which are so hard to understand even i have a hard time wrapping my mind around it and no wonder paul when he was on the earth read the book of acts acts 19 11, extraordinary miracles done by the hands of paul even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to those that were sick because of his high insight it gave he was not impotent in his walk with God, because of his high revelation of the word of God, it gave birth to revolution everywhere he went. Now listen to this. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Praise the Lord. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all, listen to this, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled faces... Beholden as in a mirror. The mirror is the word. James chapter 1 verse 22. The Bible says uh, that this is the mirror of God's word. We all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror. The glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image. Hallelujah. From glory to glory by the spirit of the Lord. When I look into this and I see the image of what I'm to look like in Christ Jesus, it imprints his image 
The Bible says in the book of Romans, those whom he did predestinate, he called to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I am, every time I pick up this book, the new creation reality is being, is being imprinted into my spirit being. So that as he is, 1 John 4.18, as he is, so am I now in this world. So that I can now walk in total authority, confidence, and boldness over the powers of darkness, not because of something great that I am, but because I am transformed into the very image of God from glory to glory. There are levels of glory. That's why there's, there's levels of victory. And there's different levels of, of, of Christians. You have some Christians that are battling headache, and then there's others that are casting out stage four cancer everywhere they go. Hey, Pastor Francis, why the difference? Why the vast difference? You have some people that are, are struggling to break free from, you know, I don't want to pinpoint anything in particular. Hey, Diane, God bless you and Rod and the, and the, the family. You have some people that are trying, they, they're like struggling to break free f from the sniffles. And then you have others that are casting out devils, healing the sick, raising. You have some people that uh, have a fever and are on a, on a couch right now. And then there's others that are raising the dead. Why the difference? It's not because God loves one more than the other. It's not because one is especially anointed over the other. That's right, Chelsea. It's bad teaching. People haven't been taught this gospel. People haven't been taught this word. So they live as victims when God has called them to be more than conquerors through Christ who loved them and gave himself up for them. But I don't believe that'll be you from today onward. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray the very image of God comes on you from today's broadcast. That the let, let me read one more scripture. I know I said the last one would be the last one, but I lied. Genesis 49. Listen to this. Now I want you to understand in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that God, he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are one. Jesus said, uh, this is talking of Jesus, he who sanctifies is Jesus, and those who are being sanctified is us, and we are one, for which cause Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. You're a brother to Christ. If you're in Christ, Jesus is not your father. That's why I don't understand when people pray, Father Jesus, we just pray. He's not your father. He's your elder brother. God is your father, and we're joint heirs with Christ. But listen to this. Jesus belongs to what tribe? I'll wait for you to, to write it out in the, in the comment section. Jesus belongs to what tribe in the 12 tribes of Israel? Hey, Shireen. What tribe does Jesus belong to? The million dollar question. Hey, Carson. It's got to be at least one. I know there's a delay. That's why I'm waiting. There it is. Dan on YouTube. 
gets first place. Judah. Dora. Judah. That's right. Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. The Bible calls him the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now listen to this. G Genesis 49. This was the prophetic blessing that Jacob pronounced over Judah and those who belong to the tribe of Judah, which tribe we belong to. Listen to this. Genesis 49, 8. So what Jacob is praying and blessing Judah now with is something you can take for yourself because you're tied into that tribe. And remember, I won't go there. Judah, you are he whom your brethren shall praise. What does that signify? Always on top. You are he whom your, brother, your brothers, your sisters will envy. Not pity, not steer clear from, envy. Want to do with whom your brothers shall praise. Always be the subject of converse, the topic of conversation. That signifies always being on top, always being the head, always being above, always having a place of prominence. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. That talks about total dominion over the devil. And the Bible says that he is, what? Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. When you get tied into the tribe of Judah, the new creation reality, when you become a new creature in Christ, a new type. Now, that's an interesting thing. Creation, that word in the Greek, actually refers to a new type of species. A new type of being. Something that has not yet been witnessed. As a believer, we emerge as something that has not yet been witnessed on the earth. No wonder Jesus said, of all them born of woman, there has not one emerged a prophet or a man or a woman greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That means if you feel like the pinky toe in the body of Christ, you are still uh, positionally over the devil because he's under the feet of the body of Christ. So if you're the pinky toe in the body of Christ, you're still higher than the forces of darkness. The hand shall be upon the neck of your enemies. Total dominion over the enemy. Your father's children will bow down before you. That talks about nobility. The Bible says in Jeremiah that noble noblemen and governors shall proceed from thee. He bows down. He lies down. As a young lion, from the prey, my son, you have gone up. What does that mean? From the prey, my son, you have gone up. That shows you an upward trajectory in life. That the path of the just is like the shining of the sun. It shines brighter and brighter every single day. As a young lion, who will rouse him up? Man, I love that. Enough frantic, panicking Christians. Worried. Nail-biting Christians. The sign of any type of resistance. And immediately, they call pastor. Pastor Adam. The Bible says, as a young lion, who will rouse him? You ever see a gazelle walk near a, a lion? And the lion crawl into his cave and run away? No. That gazelle is very careful on the ground he treads on near a lion. And even if that gazelle gets the attention of the lion, the lion very calmly turns its head. Not frantic. Not frantic. Hey, Auntie Carmen. That's right, the aroma of Christ. 
No, no, no panic. And Jesus said, you're not to worry about your life. That wasn't a suggestion. That's a command. Quit worrying. Quit panicking. Your terror is actually an attractant for the enemy. Your terror actually uh, magnifies satanic attack. When you fear and you panic and you let the enemy see that in you, all it does is magnify the defeat that you're experiencing. But instead, be in no way terrified of your enemy and it'll be to him a sign of defeat, of destruction, and of his demolition in your life. As a young lion who will rise him up, the scepter will not depart from Judah. What is a scepter? A scepter is a, a king's staff. The ability to give law. The word of God is the scepter of righteousness. And the Bible says the scepter of the word will not depart from Judah. The word of God always on our mouth. The word of God always on our tongue. Opening our mouth wide. Declaring the word of the Lord. And God saying, I'll confirm the word openly as you declare it boldly. The scepter will not depart from Judah. The Bible says the rod of God's strength shall proceed out of Zion. And Zion is the church in prophecy. And the rod is God's scepter of righteousness. It's the word of God. The word of God in your heart will do you no good. To exercise that dominion, you have to let it out of your mouth. And when you do that, that's when, that's when you put demons to flight. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. I love this. Verse 12, Genesis 49, 12. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. If you want to partake and make the most of your new creation reality, there's two things you have to do. His eyes redder than wine. That signifies the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that um, I have new wine to give you. But I can't put it in old wineskins. For new wine must go into new wineskins. And both are well preserved. Signifying the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in John 7, 37, Jesus stood up on that great day of the feast. And he cried aloud, saying, All ye that are thirsty, come to me and drink. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, whom those that would believe on him would receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, for Jesus had not yet been glorified. But when Jesus was glorified, the Bible says they were all together in one accord, and there came from heaven a sound as of a rushing mighty wind, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And what was the first thing the religious people said? These men are full of new wine. And Peter didn't deny that they were full of new wine. He didn't say, no, no, this is not new wine. We promise you this is no, has nothing to do with wine. No. He said, we're not drunk as ye suppose. That means we, they were drunk, intoxicated with a new wine. But it wasn't as they supposed. It wasn't the spirit of intoxication of this world. It wasn't alcohol. They weren't intoxicated by Budweiser or by Coors Light. The intoxication they received was the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, the, of the Godhead. His arrival on the earth, filling them, allowing them to speak in another tongue, empowering them for service. For ye shall receive power after that, the Holy Ghost says come on you Jesus said and that's the new wine and the Bible says one of the characteristics of the tribe of Judah those that are new creatures who have become one and the same with Christ will be their eyes will be full of new wine there's a look when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost 
There is a new look that comes on. You don't look like some defeated, pathetic weakling. There's a lot of Christians. They don't look strong. You got to look, be strong and of good courage. Don't let your heart be dismayed nor discouraged. For I am the Lord your God and I'm with you everywhere you go. With your adversary is the arm of flesh, but with you is the arm of God. That's why David said, some boast in chariots, some boast in horses, but a horse is a vain help in a day of trouble. But I will make my boast in the Lord who fights my battles for me. And then number two, their teeth will be whiter than milk. Well, Shirene, stay on right now. I'm going to pray for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is God's gift to the church. You don't have to wait to receive a gift. The gift's already been given, Acts chapter 2, which was 2,000 years ago. You have to lift up your eyes and by faith. Faith works in every single area of the Word of God, of, of the, of God the same way. It works for salvation. How do you receive salvation? Do you have to wait to be saved? You don't have to wait to be saved. If you wait to be saved, you'll wait dying and go to hell. You don't wait to be saved. Bible says you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth and you are saved. In the same vein, you don't have to wait to be healed. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth and you are healed. Whether you feel healed or whether you feel saved or not, that's what the Bible says. And in the same vein, you use that same faith, turn that same faith loose for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Believe in your heart that Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For when I go, I'll send you the helper whom the world cannot see for it neither knows him but see, nor sees him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And it's to your advantage that I go. For when he comes, a spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. The Bible says we have all been made to drink of one spirit. So the spirit's already been given. He's already roaming. He's already hovering like he did at the beginning of creation over the surface of your life. But he's waiting for the word of God on your mouth to come alive. Where you say, Father, I lift up my hands and I receive your Holy Spirit. I thank you that now I am baptized in the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, do that right now. If you're believing God for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I want you to lift your hands wherever you're at. And I want you to say this. Back by the scriptures I just spoke, that he said, I'll pour water on him that is thirsty. And Jesus said that the water is the, 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 the Holy Spirit. It's the wellspring of life bursting forth into everlasting life. So I want you to say this. With, with absolute conviction. You don't have to wait another day. You can receive the Holy Spirit. And don't, don't wait for tongues. The moment you say this, you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And as a result, you tell the Lord, Now, Father, I expect to pray in other tongues. But you say it by faith. And if you don't pray in other tongues right now, you don't go back on your confession. You say it all the same. I thank you that I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit to the full. And I expect to pray in other tongues. Say this with you, with your hands, with me, with your hands lifted up. Father, I thank you that you sent the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, 
to come and live in me. You said that I'm to tarry in Jerusalem until I receive power from high. I receive that power this day. I receive the fullness of your spirit. I am now baptized in the Holy Ghost. I believe it in my heart. I confess it with my mouth. And I fully expect that I'll speak in other tongues as a result. I thank you for that prayer language. And I thank you and praise you for it. And now just thank the Lord wherever you're at. Thank the Lord. And if you feel something coming up, don't. A lot of people, I can see it when I minister physically, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see people, there. there's something just coming. Right, it's like they've they, the pipes are being filled, but they don't take off the cap. They don't open up the the faucet, and so it just stays here. And so they never end up getting the fullness. Open up the faucet today. Let it rip, and God will baptize you right now. And then number two, their teeth are whiter than milk. Whiter than milk. That signifies full of the word of God word addicts book of the law never departing from our sight meditating on it day and night I want you if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ I want you to you need to get saved that's not an option you absolutely need to be in right standing with God the Bible says he that has the son has life he that hath not the son has no life in him the Bible says that you're dead to God until Christ comes and lives in you. That you're dead in your trespasses and sins until Christ comes and raises you up, quickens your mortal body so that you now can be raised to life with Christ and seated with Him in heavenly places. You need to get saved. There's a thing, a venom, a poison, a, a detrimental, decaying agent in man called sin. And the Bible says that God does not delight in the wicked dying in their sin. He said in Ezekiel. Do I delight? Do I have pleasure in the death of the wicked? No. But rather that the wicked should turn from his ways and live. Isaiah says it this way. Let the wicked man forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and God will abundantly pardon him and have compassion on him. God's not angry at you. He's had his hands wide open waiting for this day for you to receive him into your life so that you can begin. The devil might have written the first chapter of your life, but God's not only going to, he's not going to write a new chapter. He's going to throw away the book and take out a new book and you can co-author your life with God. For the great things he has for you in the future. So if you've never given your life to Jesus. Pray this with me from the depths of your heart. Say Father in Jesus name. I confess with my mouth. Jesus is Lord of my life. I believe in my heart. That you raised Jesus from the dead. And I'll live for you. The remainder of my days. Empower me. Fire me up. Create in me. A new heart. In Jesus' name, I'm washed by the blood. I repent of my sin. I am now righteous, even as Jesus is righteous. Not by might, but by your work. Heaven is my home. God is my Father. And I'll never turn back. In Jesus' name. Amen.
If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to go on our website, salvationnow.ca. The first thing that links that pops up is I just got saved. Click it, uh, fill it out, get it to me. I want to send you some some literature and uh, a CD and other other stuff, a Bible, free of charge. We pay shipping, we pay handling, we pay everything, duties, whatever it is. You won't have to put a dime of your own money in it. So do that for me today. If you'd like to give today, uh, you can do so by going to our website. Let me put it up on the screen. SalvationNow.ca slash give. And I want to thank everyone that partners with us today. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.SalvationNow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.